0: Hey guys, Gary here. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to highlight our sponsor, Sports Engine. Sports Engine's dedicated to making the life of a youth sports volunteer easier. Through their applications, people are able to save time on administrative tasks, allowing them more time to focus on developing their athletes. More than a million teams, leagues, and clubs use Sports Engine every day to run their websites, promote their programs, and to collect signups. They also offer an easy solution for getting uniforms delivered directly to their athletes' homes. It's called Sports Engine Gear, and you can check it out at sportsengine.com forward slash gear to get started. Great. Now, onto our show.
1: You're listening to On the Whistle, the podcast that explores the impact that coaches, teachers, and mentors from youth sports organizations and schools have on young people's lives. Let's get into the show.
0: Welcome, everybody. Super excited to have with us today a phenomenal guest, Erica Lawler. Erica has had a really storied career as not only an amateur hockey player, but I think as well a professional hockey player. And she had a tremendous career at Cushing Academy, then went on to win some NCAA championships at the University of Wisconsin. And then from there went on to become not only a national team player, but an Olympic player, which for me, I feel is kind of like the ultimate pinnacle and as well has played for the Boston Blades. So Erica, thanks for joining us for this week's edition of On The Whistle.
1: Thank you for having me, this is great.
0: Yeah, it's nice to talk to you, it's nice to see you. Erica, where are you right now? I I failed to ask you that in the in the pre-interview section. So where are you uh, Zooming in from?
1: I'm Zooming in from Brooklyn, New York. I'm from Massachusetts, but I'm Zooming in from Brooklyn. I live here now. Exciting. Yeah.
0: So to kick things off, I'd love to just get a little background for our audience. Like, when did you get exposed to hockey? Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming at some point you fell in love with hockey. Yep. Because you sure did play a lot of it.
1: Yep. Yes. Yes. So what was that
0: beginning like?
1: So the beginning, um, really simple, you know, when you're a kid, you're just sort of playing and being exposed to different things. And I think my parents, we didn't have a lot of money, but they tried to expose me to as much as, as they could, you know, so we'd go down to like the local parks and stuff and they'd flood out a rink, a local rink, um, not even a mile down the street from my house. My dad would take me and my sister, my sister would lace up figure skates and I I wanted the hockey skates. So we'd just go out on the ice and skate around and just sort of play. My dad played hockey. Um, my dad knew how to skate. He knew hockey. He's very passionate about it. And I think that kind of energy can rub off on kids a lot, right? When a parent's really passionate about something, I distinctly remember how happy, you know, he would get to take us to do those things. It was sort of like a bonding um, time to bond with dad. You know, we had fun playing hockey. And um, so I started, I want to say like, I don't know, I was probably like four or five when I started um, skating, but not recreationally. I started in a league when I was seven, but I was introduced to skating first. And that was just on local palms and rinks and stuff like that, you know, like a a cheaper version just to make sure that I liked it before my parents really, you know, signed me up and had me do the learn to hockey and all that stuff. So it was just, yeah, local. I was lucky because my dad played, my aunt played, um, and it was sort of a family thing. And that, that translated into, you know, more of a... Uh, a passion. And yeah, that, that love that you were talking about, it's very important.
0: Erica, to talk about the elephant in the room,
1: Mm -hmm. you're little. Yes. Yes.
0: Yep. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know, Erica, according to Wikipedia is four feet, 11 inches. Yeah. So uh, you and I share something in common.
1: Oh, you—you're a little too. I can't. I understand. was a little
0: guy. <laughs> I was a late bloomer and a little guy, yeah. but I never became a great athlete. You yeah. obviously went to the height of your—you know—the height of the experience of becoming an Olympic athlete and a professional athlete. But yeah. So, did the adage work for you? It's not the size of the dog in the fight; it's the size of the fight in the dog. I mean, were I you just a tenacious to. little?
1: Yep. That's exactly what it what it is. Um, you know, I came, I want to say uh, hockey, playing hockey wasn't always easy for me being the only girl, you know, I went through a lot of, and I'm an emotionally sensitive person. I mean, I I, I go through emotional extremes and I think when I was a kid, especially sort of um, struggling with, you know, where, what is my place in the world? I'm the only girl playing with boys. I didn't, I didn't uh, see a lot of women playing hockey back then. I didn't see the future. The Olympics uh, weren't even an option until I was, sixth or seventh grade, right? The 98 Olympics was the first thing to hit that really gave me that long-term goal to go after, but I didn't see women playing anywhere. And I really felt alone a lot of the time. So, you know, the sadness and and the anger that sort of came along with that and the fear, you know, that sort of, you know, when people started, when people started to give, you know, to, to be concerned about my height, when I got a little older, I was thinking, I mean, you know, You think height discrimination is hard. That's nothing compared to, you know, compared to some of the stuff that I've had to deal with in the past, being the only girl and some of the feelings of isolation there and the fear and, you know, the the way that you're able to sort of translate all those emotions into your sport, especially when people are telling you that, you know, you're not going to make it somewhere because of things you can't control. That always made me more angry than anything. And like anger can work really well, um, on the ice or in any, you know, you can really, you know, you can use sports as a, an outlet for all that. And I think, you know, I, I got to a point where I was sort of laughing at the the height, the height things by the time I got there, right. By the time I was in high school and people started to say, Oh, she's not going to play in college because of her height. She'll never be able to go to the Olympics because of her height, you know, all that stuff was sort of just making me laugh, to be honest, because I was like, you have no idea where I come from. You have no idea what's, you know, what I feel inside of me when I'm playing. And I knew that that was, that was, you know, I was an energy player and I always have been. And I always, you know, I am an energy, high energy person. And that's all stems from, you know, the hardships I had to go through emotionally, right? Um, and hockey always being that outlet for me. So I knew how to use the sport, you know, to, and I knew what I was feeling inside. And I just was like, you know, for you to just reduce me to what I am on the outside is is ignorant, you know, and very um, very short-sighted. And I think as an athlete in any sport, regardless of what shape or size you are, you have it's it's part of um your passion and responsibility to understand that there's also a very specific role for you. If you want to build that out, you can do that. I was a small, quick, really fast player who was great at shifting momentum and building momentum. My energy was very contagious. And even at your height. Even at my height, exactly. And that's how I got everyone's attention too, right? Is it is all that. And those are all things that I love to do. So the height thing really was more of a motivator than anything. It really, it really triggered me. It kind of got me to laugh at the same time as like, I can't wait to put your foot in your mouth type of thing was really Mm. motivator for me as much as I like to deny that it was and like pretend like I never even thought about it. Oh, I did. I thought about it a lot. And I knew that it was, I knew it was stacked against me. Right. I, I know the way people thought I knew that I knew that height was going to be an issue, regardless of whether it should have been or not. I knew it was going to be an issue, and. I had to eliminate those fears or those concerns that coaches would have because, you know, in the recruitment process, when you're watching me against all the other kids and all the other girls in a high school setting, the, their first question in the back of their head is, "Oh, can she play at the college level? Right? Like that's it. Is she going to be strong enough? And is is this going to translate? All her skill sets going to translate at the college level? And to eliminate those fears, I just had to make sure that I was like faster and stronger than everybody else, right? And I sort of had that whole mindset in high school, and that's where you know. I would, I, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't on the back of my mind all the time. I knew that that was going to be something that I'd have to face. And I knew I was going to have to eliminate those concerns. And I just had to work, I had to work my tail. out. I mean, I was one of the hard, I was always the hardest worker on the ice. You know, my work ethic was one of those things that definitely separated me from people who were n- maybe more naturally talented or definitely, you know, had the height thing over me, you know, the height advantage or the, um, the size advantage over over me, especially in a sport like ice hockey, where, you know, there definitely are some, some advantages that a taller person do have, but they're also, I, I think what people forget about a lot is that a shorter player also has some height, some height advantages that taller players don't have like center, low center of gravity, right? That's another, that's one and, you know, agility in, um, so I just, you know, technical skating was my thing. And, you know, I identified that as a strength early on and I was always a player that played to my strengths and made sure that I built those out to the best of my capacity and just managed those weaknesses that were, um, that weren't really my role as a smaller player.
0: What role did coaching have as you went from, you know, middle school to high school to college? Did you have a strong high school coach? Yes. Cuz it sounds like it starts off with your dad as your mentor. Yes, it definitely And, that, up with my and that relationship obviously pleased you because when you said it really made me happy to see how happy he was playing with us. Yeah, that's a very common theme that I hear with a lot of people that are on the show is mm-hmm. the beginning is often with a mom or a dad, and the relationship begins by feeling some self-esteem and some sense of purpose in the family unit as I understand this gets me closer to them, and seeing them happy makes me feel loved. Yeah. And so it starts with that little emotional connection, but then good parents and good players need more. Yes. Right. You need to really, I mean, a dad can only go so far with a kid. And at some point somebody needs to sit you down and say, Hey, you know what, Erica, your dad might love you, but I'm your coach and you're not using your left hand properly. You're not whatever the thing is. Right. Yep. And so when did that transition happen and how did it affect you? And, And if you want to give a shout out to any Any people along the way that really changed your trajectory? I I
1: know. I you know, and I get very emotional when I talk about mentorship, actually, and coaching because it was it 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 is so important, and I have such deep gratitude for those people who stepped in in my life when I needed them.
0: And Erica, that's the purpose of the show.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, really? To
0: to highlight that and to let the world know we appreciate those people. Mm -hmm. And without those people, the fabric of our youth and our communities would be weaker. Yeah. Had it not been for their invisible work that exactly. goes into raising so many of us indirectly in their own way. Yeah. And my wife and I have seen it with our children and their coaches. And mm-hmm. so that's the essence of what we really like to get to with On the Whistle.
1: I love that. I love that. I remember distinctly. I had this moment at the opening ceremonies where I was sitting in the, you know, we after we walked in, we sat down. I was just, you know, in complete, utter shock and awe. Uh, and amazement but I, I you know i started crying and, and getting really choked up in that moment because all i could think of is wow there were so many important heroes in my journey and to get me here to experience this very special moment but i'm the one sitting here you know i'm the one who gets to do this so that i love that you do that and it's very important but to answer your question Yes, my dad was definitely really important, but I think every kid gets to a point where they're like sick of listening to their parent and because there is that deep bond of love, right? You feel like there's almost like you don't want to lose that. So if there's ever any criticism and stuff, you get really I I remember getting really defensive with my dad at certain points and there he was hard on me. It was like a tough love kind of thing. But I also loved that because I didn't want him to treat me any differently than he treated my brothers, you know? So he was he treated me just like them and he he he, he knew, you know, in his mind, he knew our potential. And he knew, you know, so he pushed all of us, but there, there were, there was a line there that I was like, you know what, dad, we're not crossing this. I, I'm not going to listen to you. If you keep going here with me. And I, I needed a new coach at that point, because I think I hit my threshold with him where I just was like, you know what, we need to separate our relationship. Now. I want you to be my dad. I don't want you to be this person in my life. I needed somebody else. And, and in high school, especially, it's, it was a really tough time for me. Um, like I said, I was a very emotional kid and I, I have real, really deep emotional extremes. And, and so to, I, I needed to learn how to manage all of that right that was a really important part of my journey and i think what i what i needed to feel was just support by people and love even even like regardless of sport because i you know at a really young age people get really obsessed with with kids that are you know stars you know they you, you start to feel a lot of pressure and i think in high school i started to feel a lot of pressure and it wasn't it wasn't just fun anymore you know i could tell there was so much more to it And what my high school coach did was instill me with like a crap load of confidence and basically put me in control. He, I'll never forget when he was like, Erica, you have everything you need, right? You have it all. And whether or not you want to make it to that level, that's going to be up to you. You're going to have to put in the work. But right now, we have we have some things to manage, right? My anger was something to manage. My, you know, my my. And I think it all it all stems from a really pure good place of just wanting to feel loved and respected and mm. and adequate. And you know what I mean. Um, yeah. But I was really struggling with that at the time, so I really needed a coach that believed in me. Who also put me in my place when I was getting too angry and taking things out on my teammates and not being a good leader, right? Um, I needed somebody who respected me and loved me and who I knew was in, um, who was there for my best interest, not their own, you know? He was very much like, you are going places, kids. You've got to trust me. You've got to listen to me, right? And he just met me on my level. And I really appreciated that. It was never like he was the boss and that he was, he was, you know, telling me what to do. He's like, I'm here for you. Right. And, and I'm going to be here for you no matter what, whether it's hockey or whether it's your personal life, or you're going through some hard things outside of here, like it all bought, like you always, that always gets brought onto the ice with you. And that always gets brought onto the field, whatever you're going through in life, you know, you have to manage that emotionally, and then and figure out how to play, you know, with all that. And he did a great job of telling, like, it's okay to have all those feelings, but when we're here, we're gonna we're gonna have to do a better job managing them. And I, you know, he just put it all in my lap and was like, "Really, you have a decision to make. Do you want to be the star that I know you can be, or you know, if you don't, that that's okay too, right?" He gave me the control, right? That yeah, was it sounds important. very empowering. It was, it was a very empowering experience because at at that point I did feel with hockey that the person inside of me was, I was losing that, right? Like, does anyone care about me or do they just care about this really great hockey player who's gonna be in the Olympics someday, you know, if she wants to be. He was like, I care about you and hockey's hockey, right? I care about you but if you want to do this hockey thing, let's do it. And he got me excited about it. Right. I, and so did my, my teammates and all that. Um, but he was the coach that sort of like helped me put all the pieces together. You know, I didn't have to neglect any parts of me. I could be fully me, but also have this great place to go to express myself and, uh, and enjoy and, um, not be shy with, you know, I didn't have to be afraid of it. I could, I could be that person and, and feel proud of it. I could be that person and go go for it, you know, wholeheartedly. And I didn't have to separate being the girl at school anymore with the girl on the ice. You know, I could sort of mesh those worlds and um and be proud of all of them. And so I'd say that he was the guy that really um, yeah, Paul Kennedy is his name. He was the coach at Cushing, he was my coach at Cushing Academy. And I I want to say that he was probably the the biggest influence in my life at that time. And one of the most important role players in my career. Yeah. He was a, he was a turning point for me for sure.
0: When you wrapped up at Cushing and you went to university of Wisconsin Mm -hmm. uh, and then you had Mark Johnson, I would just call it an an amazing run there. I mean, was it two or three national titles.
1: Yeah. Three, three national championships. And um, he's another coach, right? Mark Johnson. Um, I remember picking Wisconsin because I personally wanted to go to a school where I knew I wasn't going to be the best player and where I'd have to chase some other players. Um yeah. Again,
0: channeling yeah. into that uh, anger and that yeah, uh, exactly. drive piece. That,
1: that's exactly how I was motivated, right? Was like you know, sort of being challenged a lot in that way. Like, yeah. Um, and, and it, yeah, it's a very you know that theme was this, a recurring theme throughout over the course of my entire career, you know. And what I loved about Mark is he's another uh, feeling comfortable was always my biggest thing, right? I needed to feel loved and comfortable by all my coaches, uh, including my dad. That's, which is why I sort of had to cut him off at a certain point. And uh, Mark was one of those really, he's just, uh, and he's a well decorated he was in uh you know he's if you ever seen the movie Miracle on Ice he's he was on the 1980 Olympic team he scored two goals against the Soviets in that semifinal game he very well established and well accomplished he played in the NHL for over 10 years i mean he's he's a, a he was a phenomenal hockey player but when i met him he just had so much you know he was just so humble and none of it was about him again it was all about uh just love and passion for the sport
0: when a card makes a player feel loved Mm -hmm. and gives them a sense of belonging yeah what does that look like to the player Is it a choice of words? Is it a choice of physical motions? Meaning,
1: I think, yeah, you know, I
0: go on the ice with them. I play catch with them on the beach. I mean, get get a little bit more granular with us.
1: Yes, I totally will. It's um, he didn't micromanage us in any way, right? He respected us as people. He empowered. Did he yell at you? Never, never, ever. He. I never heard him yell. When he when he would yell, it would be because even his version of yelling would be uh, more like. Uh, It was just disappointment, right? It was just disappointment. It wasn't yelling. He would just straight up be come into the locker room and be like, that was, that was, I expect better. I expect more, you're better than this. And that very simple, something as simple as that um, could really turn around the bench, you know? And it's just because he gave us a a certain level of respect that it's it's a two-way street, right? If if a coach is going to allow you to be who you are and sort of help fine tune you into the roles that he can see you playing, but allow you the creativity and the flexibility to be who you are on the ice. That's what I was looking for in a coach, someone who could develop me, but at the same time, appreciate who I was as a player and never micromanage us on the ice in a way that crushed our creativity and didn't allow us to sort of play from our heart and our soul, you know? Um, What wouldn't
0: work for you then, Erica?
1: what I have a tough time with is, is a coach that over coaches, a coach that is too, um, X, too much caught up on the X's and O's and a coach that, you know, gives us, um, a bedtime. You know what I mean? Like sometimes coaches are like, you cannot see your families before games. You have to do X, Y, and Z, you know, pre-game skate is not optional. It's required. And you know what I mean? All the details are required and never an option. I love that Mark Johnson gave us choice and freedom. You know, a lot of other coaches can get really, um, you know, they just, they can, they can, over they try to manage it in a way that they have full control and that basically takes our decision and our power away away from us in ways so no. i think i was really sensitive to coaches that allowed us to make decisions and respected us as you know as professionals who know how to take care of themselves and who know what what they're doing and how to prepare for a game you know mentally physically and all of it he just trusted us and And trust looks like, like I said, the ability, like he let us make decisions. He let us prepare how we needed to. He didn't force us to wake up at a certain time to go for a team walk. Those were all things that we were able to play around with in our college years to figure out what's best for us as individuals and what's best for our, for us as performers. And I think that that's, um, that's really the, the a huge difference between Mark and other coaches that I had the opportunity to play under um, in my later years. So yeah, I think that that was really important for me.
0: Talk about the Olympic experience and the, and the coach for that team. it was, was it... Mark
1: actually oh it amazing. was Mark. I lucked out big time. I mean, wow, I felt so comfortable with him and it was a huge advantage for me for sure. I mean, I knew all of his drills. I knew, you know I knew you know I knew what he expected of me, I knew what my role was. I knew how to communicate with him. He knew how to communicate with me and all that stuff uh, really, really helps a lot. Um, But there were coaches within the process of that U.S. team that that just had a different style. And I could tell that it, it was adjustment that I had to make. And that's just energy that, you know, you sort of burn up a lot of energy trying to figure out where does this coach see me how does this coach see me you know what kind of role am i playing under this coach versus what kind of role i will play under a different coach you know every coach has a different you know a different way of execution and sees different players in different places and and you're constantly adjusting to that as a player on the US national team when coaches are coming in and out right coaches are trying out just like players are and during that year though during those 4 years um the 2006 2010 years, there were four different coaches and every single time it was such an energy drain to have to go through the motions of like figuring out where this coach sees me, you know, it's a mental game. Right. And that's like, that can be exhausting when you're, you know, if you're overthinking it and trying to, you know, please and all that stuff, but ultimately you have to figure out, figure that out because they're the ones picking the team. So. And
0: Erica, it's not just on that team. It's in life.
1: It's in life, exactly.
0: So, you know, when you leave sports from a full-time job or a recreational job or a semi-amateur job and you do enter the workforce, mm-hmm. you are going to report to somebody. Right. And that person reports to somebody. And yes. around you, you have peers. You can call them teammates or you can call them colleagues. Right. But the dynamic that you're talking about remains for all of us in life because we build big tribes, we build small tribes, we work in different groups and figuring out where you sit with the person you report to and how they see you and how you want to be seen. Mm -hmm. It's a constant dynamic in life.
1: Oh yeah. How you want to be seen versus like what you think the reality of how somebody is perceiving you is just, you know, it's such as, you know, it can be a vicious cycle if you're thinking about it too much.
0: Well, the piece that you talked about in high school, where your coach allowed you to combine the two personalities that you thought about yourself, yeah. You were both a hockey player, but you were also Erica. Yes. And that it sounds like there was a little bit of a struggle about those two different things, but this high school person allowed you to combine those. two. that's a really valuable lesson early on. Yeah. So that you can go forward as one person.
1: Yes. Right. right.
0: Right. And then when you're trying to figure out, well, how do I want them to see me? I believe that kids who have enough self-esteem to know, see me for who I am. Mm-hmm. I am who I am. And I have self-esteem because my coach taught it to me or my teacher taught it to me. Yeah. Right. Or whoever it was, my mentor taught it to me that allows that interaction to be um, so much more effective later on in life.
1: Absolutely. Like it's um, it is, it's so, it's so important because I mean, even later on in life, like I've had to go back, right. Like in my adult, like I'm, I'm 10 years removed from sport, but I've had those struggles and I have to like dive back into those days of like hockey to really like, how did I handle this when I was there there and then, right. It was hard for me there. And then like, if I have a manager that, that really just misunderstands me or like, for some reason, like we can't connect because our communication style is different or this or that. How did I manage it back then? Oh, I had to have a really hard conversation of like, look, I'm not this, you know what I mean? Like communication. Key to everything, and key to everything, it really is. And you know, I kind of forget. It's like, oh, I'm so sick, right? Like, I get so frustrated still as an adult. Like, I'm so sick of always having to explain. I'm always having to explain myself. But it's just, you know, it's just that's part of the process. It's it's a part of the process. You're never done. It's never done.
0: You know, I looked at some of your Twitter posts and your Instagram posts, and I get a sense that you um, use kindness Mm -hmm. as a method to your practices in life hmm there's posts about equality there's posts about um a lot of reposting positive things that other people have said in order for you to support them on twitter yeah. mm-hmm. and so i'd love to learn a little bit about uh, what your motivation is or what your instincts are around that characteristic
1: yep and, I- and
0: where, do, where do they come from is this just like hey i'm a nice person and you get along by life by being nice to people so why not continue <laughs> it or is okay. it a little bit more thoughtful and strategic
1: I think it's, um, and I'm glad that made you laugh. Yeah. (laughs) I actually think that that was a really nice read on your end. Like kudos to you for that. Um, I think that kindness now, and it was something I learned really. It was, um, I grew up in a tough place. I think it was all tough love. Right. So I think,
0: um, what do you mean you grew up in a tough place? Like a tough town? Was it a lousy town?
1: Yeah. A tough town. It was like a low income town where town was it? It was called Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Yeah,
0: no, I know, um, I know. Well, I grew up in Fall River.
1: Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's cool. like
0: Fitchburg, but probably yeah, just I mean, lousier.
1: Right, <laughs> <laughs> like I, I hate saying lousy because I, I, feel like. Fitchburg oh, they're tough so towns. Crazy. They're
0: mill towns. They're New England towns.
1: Exactly, it's like a tough yeah. love town. It's a tough love yeah. city, really. It is, and um, tough love can be, you know, it can be, t- it can be tough. It's tough. Yeah. Uh, you're always trying to prove something, you know, but. I always saw that as um, a very positive thing, as much as I was sort of, I really lacked gratitude as a kid. I think it's because I was growing up in this area that I I was seeing like so many really hard things happening. I mean, I went to school with a lot of really low income kids and some of this, like I had to figure out a way to cope with all that sadness. And I think I just sort of tried to push it away and ignore it, you know, um, and, and, and sort of grow numb to it. And, And now as an adult, as I reflect on these things, that there are things that I, I was, I was always a really empathetic kid, I think. And I had to figure out how to do, how to manage that in ways that weren't going to really drag me down every single day. I remember feeling very sad sometimes, like driving home or driving to school, watching all the kids who didn't have like the privilege of getting a ride to school from their parents walking and like, you know just little things like that and like even the, the interactions at school where kids would you know constantly just picking on each other constantly it was it's all a survival game when you're when you're when you're there. so I think it was more selfish than anything right I grew up very much protective trying to care only caring a, about myself because that's kind of what you have to do to get through you know so I think the kindness now is like that's where joy comes from really for me I and in, in the later half of my career I want to say college, College on, I was, I found so much inspiration and motivation in my teammates, really. You know, I, they were the bulk of like my motivation at that point. You know, like the pressure could get really hard. The self talk wasn't always constructive, it could be destructive at times, right? I wasn't always very kind to myself, but I, you know, I I found that as a way to push myself. I think it was kind of this like backwards process of like, pain and, and, and pleasure, you know, like I had to, I had this like really negative self-talk thing going on to sort of like, I don't know, I learned this weird backwards way of motivating myself, motivating myself with it. But I think what my teammates did was provide me with that joy and like got me out of my own head a lot. My teammates did. And when I would watch them, um, I really feel felt so empowered by them. And I mean, when you're surrounded by that many women who are like so passionate and driven, just like you are, I mean, that elevates that elevated me to a level that I, I can't even put into words you know it really it, you know it really is as as cliche as that teamwork the whole teamwork you know as, as cliche as those teamwork motivational quotes sound um they truly are the you know the sixth player or whatever you want to call it i don't even know but um they erica did that yeah what was
0: it like standing on the podium for the olympics when you guys got the silver yeah but just share with our listeners, just the feelings around that time. I mean, it, yeah. you're the first Olympian I ever talked to that won a medal in uh-huh. real person.
1: Oh, I had to grab a drip, sip of water for that before I start talking <laughs> about that one. You know, um, you know, we catch a lot of heat, the, 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 the woman's. Uh, you guys do. What's that? What You yeah. guys do.
0: Cause you didn't win the gold
1: because we didn't well no not because we didn't win the gold because we cry when we when we lose the gold
0: (laughs) oh because
1: we cry no i cry
0: i cry at everything i couldn't take my kids to kung fu panda i (laughs) cried at the end of kung fu panda and all those like disney movies with my kids i mean i cried everything
1: no you know it it makes sense people if, if you're if it's out of context right um if you're watching it like on television, it, it's this amazing production and and you see like these incredibly well accomplished athletes getting a silver medal. And for us, it's a little bit more black and white. It's like we were trained to beat Canada, right? It, as in women's ice hockey, there's two there's two powerhouses and it's the U.S. and Canada and our whole mindset and our whole training, like every, every mental train, all the mental skills that sessions that we have are all surrounded by like, how are we gonna feel confident when we get on the ice? So that, we can beat this one team you know and this one game that matters and in that moment we're on the blue line we just lost that game and that's like the symbol of failure really right we learned the silver oh, we almost learned the silver medal as like a symbol of oh crap we we failed and we have a lot of work to do you know and that's the pinnacle the olympics is the pinnacle that's the one tournament that matters most we won world championships in between that time but the olympic gold is the one that's most important so
0: are you able to turn it into gratitude?
1: Absolutely. It take took so take, took me a lot of time, really. I mean, I think I've just found that, really. And, and and that's it's it's sad and I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud that it took me so long to find that that uh, to feel good with it, you know? But that's just what we learn. And as 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 bad as it looks from the outside sometimes and as ungrateful and as um you know, discouraging and, and off-putting as that must make a lot of people feel when they're watching the Olympics and they're so proud of their athletes. And they're like, what, you know, you silver, what, um, what they also don't understand is how many more opportunities, um, come out of a gold medal than, than a silver really. Like, I mean, the girls in 2018 that won gold, the media is all over that, you know, and, you're able to spread the game a lot more. You're able to make some money after, after you don't right. make money training, you know, you're able to make a couple dollars after, after you win a gold medal, you know, you don't get those opportunities with a silver. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, But I think mostly it's just the emotion of, look, this is, it's a very polarizing process when you're in women's ice hockey and that silver medal is, you know, it's success. If you win, it's failure, if you lose. And, in that moment we're struggling with all sorts of emotions it's like it's not just success and failure and we had just failed it's also oh wow we just had such an emotional experience with this amazing group of women and that's where the gratitude comes from in that moment of getting the medal it's not and that gratitude also makes me cry. Right. So, <laughs> so people are seeing it on camera in the moment. I was feeling grateful for my teammates. I also felt a sense of, wow, I let these guys down. Right. So there's so many emotions that are playing into that, that people don't really understand because you don't know, live that life, but you know, you're like a whole career. F- I mean, I was having like flashbacks in the blue line. I had to disassociate in certain moments. Cause I, it was so much emotionally that I didn't know how to I didn't know how to manage it all, right? And there was a moment there where I just went completely numb. And I'm like, why don't I feel anything right now? I have to feel I mean, I'm so emotional. I should be feeling this. I should be crying. I should be throwing my arms up in the air. I should be, you know, I should be feeling all of the things. But I remember not being able to even even wrap my mind around what was happening was just very loud in there. And like, there were a million, like it it felt like a millions of screaming Canadian fans so excited for the other team that had just beat us. You know And I'm standing there? Like, yay, this is, you know, I feel humiliated and ashamed in ways because I, I couldn't, you know, all these things that I used as motivation, like my hometown, I let down my hometown. I let down, you know, I let down my parents. I let down my high school. I let down my college. No, I'm just projecting all the thing, you know, onto all these things. I, that's what I used as my motivation. That's what I took with me. Um, that was my heart and soul, you know, was all those people and all of those experiences that that got me there. And so when I'm in that moment, I was just like, I let everyone down. I was really just let myself, you know, in ways it was mostly just letting myself down. But because I had used that as motivation, then you have the fallout of that when it doesn't work out. And, and so, is there gratitude today? Oh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Thank what is it?
0: And, and how do you sh- just, you know, how do you frame that up now? So the things that motivated you, whether it's your town or your family or whatever, do you think back on those and, and say, boy, I'm so lucky to have those and I still have them?
1: Yeah, I do. I, it is. And right now, it's, um, I'd say after it, it's you have so much gratitude for anything and anyone involved in the process, but you forget to feel proud of yourself. And so as gratitude for others is easy for me, but being, but, but giving myself grace and allowing myself love and allowing myself respect and pride is, has been mentally the hardest thing for me to sort of like undo inside my brain. Right. Because. Got it. A lot of it, like I said, it was always a struggle between self and sport and like the identity piece. What was more important, right? Because you sacrifice so much of yourself for the game. And so that got really confusing to me at times. And, you know, I would have given anything for it. That's how much I cared, really. And, you know, I went to the extremes. I I always felt like the path to the Olympics did like walk a fine line with self-destruction in ways, right? So, but you can't, you know, it's extreme highs and lows and you sort of have to figure out how to do both. You know, um, Erica,
0: I know you've played a thousand games, 2,000 games, 10,000 games. You've played for some of the most competitive teams globally in the world. You've represented the United States. So you represented effectively me, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. It's really exciting. And all that stuff's, you know, it's very empowering. And and I can tell your passion and energy. Like you said, you're an energetic player. I think you're an energetic interview. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm curious. With all the wins and losses, what did you gain more from, the wins or the losses?
1: Um, I would say neither. I I, I think I gained from realizing that I shouldn't be so attached to outcome, really. You know, it's really not about either of those things. I've gained the most from, from having wild success and wild failures and learning that That's at the end of the day, ultimately not what's most important, right? That it's actually, it's, I'm learning that that's not the thing, you know, that matters most is probably what I've taken away. That's most important. It's as much as you've, you know, it's probably been beaten into everybody. It's about the process and and what you learn on the way that you have to figure out how to appreciate and be resilient from, and, you know, everything, all the 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 ups and the downs and everything in between. It's about finding a way to have gratitude in moments where you're in extreme lows and to get you out of it in a way to, you know, also be humble when you're experiencing these highs and realizing that, you know, grounding yourself inside of all those people, right. Grounding yourself inside of all the, all the stuff that really matters. And that's just, you know, love and support and care and concern and just respecting people around you and your teammates and really just, I want to say, like rallying around those like really core beliefs, uh, that core belief system is really always needs to be the center of everything you do. And, uh, because I don't know, like I said, you can, you get high and you get low and like either, neither of those things are going to be good. If you're not grounded in ways, they right? can
0: Both be very unhealthy and very dangerous.
1: Exactly. Very dangerous and very health.
0: Do and you, um, possible. do you still play hockey?
1: I play roller hockey more often because I'm in Brooklyn. There's not a lot of ice. I actually, <laughs> I have a um, an Instagram account with one of my best friends, Kelly Nash, who I met in college. It's called the Brooklyn Bladers. We. Um, We've been playing at local like basketball courts, uh, like once nice. a weekend. We get like a group of girls uh, or anyone, actually. We got a few guys going too, uh, just a group of us that play every once a week. And we have now like a, a a little small group of lessons to do with some some kids on the weekend. So it's been fun. There's unfortunately not a lot of ice though. So
0: Erica, if people want to like talk to you or learn about you, what are your, like some of your social media handles and how do they connect with you?
1: Instagram's probably the best one. I'm not like a huge uh, Twitter. Uh, I'm not great with Twitter. I want to get into uh, TikTok, but I'm not quite there yet. Good um, luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like there's some really cool. If
0: I'm too old there. for that. Well, you're I'm, too old. I'm way too old. I don't know. That I don't know seems, I, that's I, too edgy.
1: I know. I feel like I need to be more adaptable. Um, but I, I'd say Instagram's definitely so the. So, what's
0: your Instagram it's, handle?
1: It's Erica Lawler two at in uh, whatever. Just Erica Lawler two. Yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah know, right. I was going to say words. at gmail.com, but that's not even my. <laughs>
0: um, Erica, it's super yeah. cool to talk to you and uh, yeah, you're, you're talk. an awesome inspiration. And I hope people do take the opportunity to reach out to you and, and connect with you. And I think if you're listening to this and, you know, listening to Erica, tell her story about the impact her coaches had and you too feel that there was a coach or mentor or teacher in your life that made you feel similarly, that made you feel loved and confident, you know, we'd love for you to reach out to your coach.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: one of the um, things I always like to try and close with is just call your coach mm-hmm. because he or she may want to hear from you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Write them a letter or call them. Write right? them a
0: letter, give them a ring, shoot them a text. Hey coach, yeah. thinking about you. Love you. Thanks for everything.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Cool.
0: Thanks, Erica.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. This is great.
0: You've been listening to On the Whistle. For
1: more, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit us at onthewhistle.com.